Hey y'all, this is the second episode of the Southern Lodge Podcast. Today, the guys and I will be discussing spring football in the SEC, NFL free agency, turkey hunting experiences, and with a buddy's golf trip planned, we will talk about the Masters and Tiger Woods. So pull up a chair to the fire, and welcome to the Southern Lodge. Alright guys, uh, for any newcomers, uh, this is our second episode uh, and if, uh, you haven't listened, you go back and listen to our inaugural first episode. We, uh, we attempted to pick the perfect bracket for March Madness. And, uh, if you, if you listen to that first episode and you really tracked what we picked, you, uh, figured out pretty early that the guys and I don't know jack crap about basketball because, um, they failed pretty spectacularly this year for us. Uh, Aaron lost on like the first game with his Virginia pick. He also had uh, Alabama going Ooh. to the Final Four, so half of, uh, half of Aaron's bracket was done in the first weekend. Of course, mine was too with Michigan State and Tennessee. You know, I, I went with Danny on that one, and he uh, he really hurt me by believing in Michigan yeah. State. Hey, let's go Loyola. What are they, the Ramblers? The Ramblers. That's that's who I'm the Ramblers. For. S- Sister Jean. That's who we're going for. Did uh, I was uh, watching yeah. the news this morning, and um, Jalen Rose's grandmother called out Sister Jean because uh, his grandmother's like 100. She said that the Ramblers are going to uh, go down this weekend. And then uh, the 102-year-old fan from uh, – Kansas weighed in as well. I, th- I forget what her name is, but uh, apparently there's a bunch of octogenarians that love college basketball in America. But uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> we uh, we failed spectacularly, guys. I don't uh, don't know if y'all realize just how bad we were. I haven't checked my ESPN in a while, but I was uh, at least in the tens of millions for my picking. Of course, I, yeah, I did pick Tennessee. Bad. I did pick Tennessee to go all the way. So. But Aaron did almost wish they'd give an award for guy. the true, true. I almost wish they'd give an award for the worst bracket picks. Uh, I'd probably be in the top ten on that one. I don't believe I'd be far behind you either. Uh, the Alabama pick, the Tennessee pick was bad, but I, I believe the Alabama pick was even worse. And. Um, yep. Then when I did the repick, I, I you know ESPN does the once it gets to the Sweet Sixteen, you can repick. I chose Duke versus Kentucky, and um, that one's gone as well. I think the only one I picked correctly was Michigan making it to the Final Four. I got so, two of the four teams in the Final Four from my original bracket. Who uh, Kansas and Villanova? Villanova, no. Michigan. Uh, Aaron, Aaron, did you have any? None. None. Duke, Duke <laughs> you would have been the only one. Over. Wow. I might have to <sighs> do, do you remember who your final four was besides Alabama and Virginia? Uh, Duke, North Carolina, Virginia, and Alabama. He had three ACC schools in the final four. Wow. <laughs> I'm no stranger uh, to heartbreak. You are a Mississippi State fan. Mississippi that's, State had that's they, fact. they haven't had the heartbreak that Tennessee's had. Though. Hey dude, they're still in it for the women's. You still got that. Yeah. It's exciting actually. 
Very exciting. Uh, and the boys are doing well in the NIT. Really? Yeah, well, yeah. Thought that was over with. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Tennessee women choked as usual with Holly Warlick in the uh, women's bracket. I don't, I don't like to talk about that, you know. All homage to Pat Summit in heaven, looking down. But um, yeah, the Lady Balls aren't very good. <sighs> All right, so uh, y'all want to talk a little spring football in the SEC and tell me why Auburn and Mississippi State's going to beat Tennessee in uh, Atlanta this year? <laughs> hmm. That's wishful thinking, Mike. I don't know. Tennessee's got they they put together a top notch staff, and uh, Pruitt's got the boys fired up, and uh, you know Kirby Smart might be a one year wonder. You never know with all them hey, five stars. Man, yeah, realistically, <laughs> it can't be any worse than the goon squad of Butch Jones. Uh, yeah, you definitely can't be any worse than Butch Jones was that last year, um, and it just shows that. Josh Dobbs was a heck of a college quarterback for us to be as good as we were with that man coaching our football team. Uh, and I actually learned this week that Dan Mullen was going to ex- accept the Tennessee head coaching job, but the morning that the paperwork or whatever that was supposed to be signed, Florida came calling after him. So uh, Jeremy Pruitt to Tennessee may never happened if uh, Florida would have been a little slower. I'm pretty sure I told you that uh, way back in the day, back in the fall when the coaching carousel was in full swing. Mm. Uh, you might have, but uh, mm. you know, that, that was during the whole Greg Schiano, uh terrible coaching hiring decisions that were going on. I, I've kind of got um, – I've blacked all that out kind of as a PTSD to terrible AD decisions and everything. So, yeah, that that's uh, – that's an area I don't like to think about a lot. So, <sighs> what's his well, name? Curry. You paid him two and a half million dollars. You just paid him. Uh, two point two million to not work. <laughs> Man, I need that. Well, what's crazy is we were paying him to not be the AD. So while Philip Fulmer was the AD, John Curry was getting paid to sit at home and not do nothing. They they could have at least had him cleaning the the basketball stadium or something on the weekends. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, Tennessee uh, was kind of in shambles a little bit with that whole athletic department deal. You know, Curry, it's almost like the alumni – Boosters, whoever powers to be, wanted a big splashy hire, and the way that Curry wants to run his programs, it really seemed like he wanted to go a safer, cleaner route. I think one of his big deals is he didn't want any kind of gray areas on the coach, like Chip Kelly. I believe Chip um, committed some recruiting violations when he was at Oregon. And I think that was one of the big red flags with him. And, the, of course, the Greg Schiano thing that, you know, pinned him to Penn State. Um, it just, I don't, I mean, that Curry wanted, was very, very 
clean cut, and I, I think that's what he wanted. He wanted to go a safer route, even though I'm sure Mike Leach has kind of had some red air, some gray areas, some stuff that's happened. I, I don't know enough about the guy. I think he's a little cuckoo. Well, um, um, he had that uh, that incident at Texas Tech where with the oh, kid, with Craig the concussion, James. yeah, they locked Craig his James son in a uh, <laughs> uh, 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 the closet equipment, yeah, equipment storage place at practice. Yeah. Well, since we're on Tennessee, how about we go ahead and move forward with Tennessee and their outlook of the season, or at least how spring's going so far with All them. All right. So, uh, you know, since Tennessee's got a first-year head coach, I'm going to break this down, some statistics for y'all. Um, Tennessee hired 10 on-field coaches this year. He didn't retain anybody. Uh, between those 10 on-field coaches, we have seven national championships, 21 conference championships, 50 NFL draft picks, 75 All-Americans, and 50 years of experience in the SEC. I don't know what I don't know how what kind of a coach Jeremy Pruitt's going to be, but he's put together an all-star coaching staff that can at least develop players and maybe call the pl- correct play calls during a game and not and not kick a f- not kick an extra point when you need two at Florida to win when you haven't won in 10 years. Don't know, just saying. Um but uh, Danny is actually a little familiar with a couple of these, um, like uh, Tracy Rocker. He was an All-American at Auburn, uh, SEC Player of the Year in 1998. Coach um, Nick Fairley at, in 2010. Coach Nick Fairley. He coached uh, DeMarcus Ware, OCU Manura, Greg Hardy. The man knows how to make defensive ends. Hey, and apparently likes to coach guys, likes to beat women. Uh, allegedly. Uh, allegedly, did it. don't even don't even go that route. Uh, allegedly, I don't know. I'm not a Panthers fan. I don't care. Um, let's see. Uh, Chris Winkie's with been with the Rams. He was a Heisman Trophy winner at Florida State. He's going to come in and coach running backs. Um, apparently, Will Friend was a guy that played with Pruitt at Alabama. Uh, recruits seemed to like him on the trail. Um, like I said, he's a uh, he, he's got a couple defensive coordinators on the staff uh, that are in lesser positions, like um, our safeties and special team coach. He was uh, the defensive coordinator at Florida State for like the past four years. Um, uh, Who? Charles Kelly. Okay. Um, Kevin Shearer was at Georgia. Um, he's going to come over and be our, in, our defensive coordinator, inside linebacker coach. Um we got, I believe, the outside linebacker coach, Chris Rumpf. I believe he was the defensive coordinator at Florida uh, when uh, – Had to have been a long time ago because Tavares Robinson uh, – no, he wasn't the D.C. with uh, Muschamp at Florida. No, who just and got fired from Florida? Shannon. Uh, the no. guy that was at Miami, the head coach at Miami. Oh. Well, then maybe this guy was D-line coach or something. I don't know. But um, And then uh, for wide receivers, they got a guy out of Memphis, David Johnson. And I don't know if y'all have watched Memphis the last couple of years, but they've had a pretty explosive offense. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, oh, actually, Terry Fair, who is our cornerbacks coach, tie into Danny in the NFL, he's uh, from Colorado State. He's a Tennessee grad and a first-round pick of the Detroit Lions in 1998. So, there you go, Danny. 
Must have been a Matt Millen pick because I do not know him, and he was probably way overdrafted. Well, it was 1998. He was an All-Pro uh, one year, so uh, I don't know how many people become All-Pros, but uh, not a lot. I know that much. Um, let's see. We got a new quarterback coming in, a grad transfer from Stanford. His name, Keller Christ. Uh, he went 11-2 and as a starter, 19 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. Um, he can, he's going to come in and compete right away with uh, Jarrett Garantano and Will McBride, uh, one a true sophomore, one a redshirt sophomore. Uh, Garantano's kind of in the mold of uh, Josh Dobbs, so I'm excited about that. Um, as y'all both know, this year was the first year of the December signing period, which um, I might be more of a fan of, but I really think it hamstrings first-year coaches that get hired when you come in and you only have like two weeks to recruit uh, a recruiting class. Uh, it kind of hurt Tennessee this year, be it, uh, but according to 247, Jeremy Pruitt was able to bring in uh, the number 20 ranked class in the country and the uh, number eight class in the SEC. Um, he built it a lot with Tennessee talent. Uh, just uh, four of our top five players are probably out of the state of Tennessee. Um, Elante Taylor, wide receiver, he was 21 at his position. Um, Greg Emerson, defensive tackle, number 13. Uh, Jerome Carvin was an offensive tackle, 26 number offensive tackle. Um, J.J. Peterson was the real jewel of the class. He was the, depending on what recruiting site you look at, he's either the number one or number three outside linebacker. He'll probably come in and play right away. Um... And then what really helped Pruitt this year was he got some JUCO guys. Uh, Jared Allen, defensive end, number two, JUCO D end. Uh, the number one JUCO tight end, Damian Wood, uh, Dominic Wood Anderson, uh, Emmett Gooden, the number seven JUCO D tackle, and Jameer Johnson, the number six JUCO offensive tackle. Uh, so Pruitt recruited fairly well uh, in the small time he had. Um, and spring practice is, uh, he's really shaking it up a little bit. He's changed his recruiting habits or not recruiting habits, but practice habits. Um, the offensive line was a real weakness for Tennessee last year. Um, but, uh, Chance Hall and Drew Richmond were two high recruits that kind of haven't lived up to the billing due to injury or poor play. So we'll see how they do. Uh, Trey Smith was a, was the number one recruit in the country last year. Um, he is medically unable to perform uh, this spring, and they haven't really said what he's got, so we'll see what comes back on that. Um, two big offensive weapons that are making a switch to DB this offseason are Tyler Bird and Carl Sven Ami. Um, they both came out of Miami. Um, Tennessee didn't recruit a cornerback, uh, and maybe just one during this recruiting cycle, so they're switching over to see what we got. Uh, we're also maybe going to switch over to a 3-4 out of the 4-3. Um, but there's a lot of talent on this defense if the coaches can get the most out of it. There's a lot of five- and four-star players still left on this defense. So I'm excited to see what Tennessee uh, can do. As y'all know, every year I say this is the year for Tennessee, and by the end of it I'm saying there's always next year. So – this is at the time where 
we'll see what Tennessee does. Mike, you mentioned uh, the defense going from a 3-4 to a 4-3 or vice versa. Uh, I mean, what, what do you think about that being a uh, – I mean, you played football. I never played. So, I, I don't really see an advantage to sticking with one scheme for the entire game. I mean, it, I think depending on who you're playing, you would want to switch that up. What are, what are y'all's opinions on that? It would. I mean, it also depends what your personnel is because when you run a 3-4, you really need a, a run-stopping nose tackle to eat up uh, a couple of blocks in the middle so it frees up your linebackers. And a lot of times a 3-4 and a 4-3 look similar because the fourth outside linebacker will put his hand in the ground. So uh, a lot of times the 3-4 is getting a little bit more speed on the field while also putting that run stopper in the middle. So uh, it all depends. Yeah, I mean, a lot and a lot of teams run. I think to elaborate a little bit on it, um, I don't think that the middle is the – I mean, it's an important piece, but you also have to have two big five techniques. Um, when he was, when Pruitt was at Alabama, I mean, if you look at who he had, you know, depending on what down, I mean, they, they would run Deshaun Hand or whatever his name is, Hand, and then the year before, uh, Jonathan Allen, you know, those guys are what, 280 a pop? I mean, they're big boys. I mean, they're not your, and they're technically considered defensive end. They just play a five technique. Um, and, you know, it's been a long time since I played football, but I believe it's, you know, either head up on the tackle or shading the inside shoulder. And those guys are – you tend to want those three guys to be rather large so they can kind of free up your linebackers. Um, and, and that's, you know, if you don't have that personnel, the 3-4 is not going to be successful at all. I do like the idea of a multiple front, you know, to kind of go – off of the pros like I'm a Lions fan and Lions just hired Matt Patricia and Matt Patricia's kind of he said that they're going to be a multiple defense they're not going to have they're not going to run a, a base 3-4 they're going to play to the, their strengths and the weaknesses of their opponents which I like that idea you know but if Tennessee's got the right athletes and I'm assuming Jeremy Pruitt's very knowledgeable obviously he got a major D1 job He's got to know that he's got the, the talent there to make the switch. If not, then he, he I'm assuming he put, he plugged in some probably JUCO guys to fill those holes. Well, yeah, he's got two national championships at uh, two of his three stops, one with Alabama and one with Florida State. So, uh, And from every report I've read is uh, a lot of people say he's one of the best football minds they've ever been around. That includes uh, his former boss, Nick Saban. So, like I said, I'm uh, – I'm excited. I've got the optimism back that I kind of lost at the end of the Butch Jones era. Um, Butch Jones didn't leave it as uh, empty as Derek Dooley did, but uh, and Pruitt seems to be making an impression on the recruiting trail, so we'll see. Uh, I, a good year, I think, for Tennessee, in my mind, is number three in the East, competing for number two. Uh, I think we can all agree that Georgia, out of the East at least, is the – front runner to run away with it um now uh, two uh is south carolina came on last year uh florida's always got the recruits to compete especially with dan mullen uh 
bring an offense back to Gainesville. But uh, I think if Tennessee can be in the 2-3 range, it'll be a successful year, a very successful year. I think a good year would be making a bowl game. 8-4. I think 8-4 is probably realistic, you know, on the on the good end. Uh, I would put that at the great end for this year. Good end, making a bowl game. For me, it just depends on how they, what they get out of the quarterback. I mean, that, that was their downfall last year. Is they just could not get anything consistent on, out of out of the quarterback play, um, which you know obviously if you don't get six consistent quarterback play, you're not going to be successful no matter what conference you're in. You could have Bo Jackson running the football. Yeah, you, you mean you can't throw the ball, you're not going to win. Well, helping that is uh, Tennessee lost Juwan Jennings in the first game of the year last year at Georgia Tech. Uh, he's coming back. He's one of those six foot three, two hundred fifteen pound runs. You know, four 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 five speed. So uh, he's the kid that caught the hail mary against Georgia uh, two years ago. So we'll be getting him back. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm excited I about think Tennessee. There's a reason to be optimistic. I, I think they do have some some talent there. Butch Butch recruited well. I mean, besides obviously besides Trey Smith, I think all of them have kind of been busts. But maybe that's due to more of a lack of coaching and development rather than the actual player. Maybe Pruitt can get more out of them. Yeah. But we'll kind of see. I mean, that's the first year coaches are always kind of a wait and see. It's a gamble. It is. Uh, but uh, so Tennessee went with defense. Mississippi State hired an offensive coordinator. Uh, I don't know much about him. I just have to. He comes from Penn State. Uh, Aaron, what uh, what the Bulldogs going to do to impress us this year? Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I heard somebody else use this term: uh, cautiously optimistic about Joe Moorhead. Um, he he's on paper looks beautiful. Uh, great experience. Um, Spent time at Penn State, and he was a head coach. Uh, heck, what was the name of that school? Uh, I'll have to keep looking for that. Um, but anyway, he, he is an offensive mind. Um, I think the big story, even, I mean, I'm more excited about Fitzgerald being back, uh, Aris Williams at running back, and uh, Montez Sweat on D-line. I think those are some impressive uh Impressive players coming back. Uh, Fitzgerald for a senior season, Aris Williams for a senior season, and Montez Sweat for a senior season. So we are we are poised, even with a, a mediocre coach, to go to a bowl game. Uh, and in and Starkville, that's a great season. Give us something <laughs> to do over Christmas break. Uh, let's see. We've. Uh, I, well, I think a big story is Fitzgerald's uh, recovery. Um, everybody, I'm sure, has seen the video where uh, in the Egg Bowl, his on a on a simple little three yard run. Uh, I mean, it's it was gruesome too. I'm, I've got a weak stomach. I mean, if I just see, a, I mean, just like uh, Vince Vaughn on that uh, Four Christmases movie, sees the kid uh, cough up or whatever that's called, and it was just like I want to do it too. So um, I, I watched. I saw it the first time, and you know how like a car wreck or whatever you can't look away uh man it was just like that i looked at it i'm the idiot who's going oh he's done he's done and 
I didn't. I don't know. I didn't know how bad it was at the time, but he's he's running again. He's going to be at uh, full strength for the the fall season. It looks like. Uh, but that being said, we're okay at quarterback. That's one thing Dan Mullen did. I mean, he he got us set up. Uh, I a lot of people are upset about his departure, but Dan Mullen gave us nine good years, uh, put Mississippi State on the map, uh, took over for Sylvester Croom and. Uh, talk about being a stranger to heartbreak or not being a stranger to heartbreak. I became a state fan under Sylvester Croom, so if that's not loyalty, I don't know what is. Uh, but, yeah, man, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. Uh, and, and I look forward to Dan Mullen coming back with the Gators. I think we're going to give that, them a, a dang good run for their money. That's right. They come to Mississippi State this year, don't they? To mm-hmm. add a little tidbit on uh, Moorhead, he coached at Fordham from – 2012 to 2015, he inherited a 1-10 team. His first year he went 6-5, and five, then 12-2, and 11-3, and three, and then 9-3. And, and then he went to Penn State. Yeah. Uh, so, I got to admit, I did watch your Fitzgerald ankle break, Aaron, because someone told me it was so bad. Uh, I had to rewind it several times. But before you get back on talking about Mississippi State – Quick question I always have, and I know I've asked you this before, but I want on the record. What's more important, an egg bowl or a bowl game? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, and you know what? Dan Mullen lost his last egg bowl. Dak Prescott lost his last egg bowl in his senior season. Uh, those are things that I'll never forget. And even with a good season, if you end it with an egg bowl, I don't know, man. It's like getting uh, – I don't know. It's like getting a great outdoor meal, and then a bird just comes and craps on it. Like you <laughs> so might eat some of the meal, team. but now it's got crap on it, so you don't want it anymore. And so I, I, I think, uh, yeah, if we're sitting there at, if you give me a choice, six and six, but we lose the egg bowl, or five and seven, and we win the egg bowl, I want five and seven. We win the egg bowl. I do. How would, uh, how would you I, feel I've if got, I told you that uh, Tennessee's AD was texting Dan Mullen before the Egg Bowl? I would say that's why he sucked it up. <laughs> that's, why, that's why he didn't wear his shorts to the game, man. Uh, and, you know, I've got degrees from both State and Ole Miss. So I, I, I like Ole Miss. I like the campus. Uh, but, man, the football team still hate them. Can't help it. You're married. I like the women at Ole Miss. I don't know. Being a married man, I don't think I'm allowed to talk about that. But Well, you know, Aaron likes the women at UT better than he likes them at Ole Miss so and Mississippi State. Easy, no. Easy. <laughs> Just like – actually, that's a great word. To, never mind. I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> this is a family show. It's a family uh, show. It's a family show. For now. We could always change that. But, yeah, for now. Uh, but, uh, no, what's to, uh, you know, besides quarterback, y'all got Fitzgerald. And then um, wasn't this kid that came in and played in the ballgame, wasn't he like a two-star recruit as well? Because I know Fitzgerald was like a one-star, if that. Yeah, uh, we we uh, brought him in in the Egg Bowl when um, Fitzgerald went down with the ankle injury. Uh, Keaton Thompson uh, I think I think he was higher rated than Fitzgerald and Prescott were when they were recruited, um, and it, and it kind of shows. I mean, he 
He's a little slimmer and trimmer than Fitzgerald is. Uh, he's more of a, a slasher type runner. Um, Fitzgerald, he, he can bring the thunder and and the uh, and the lightning. Uh, when he gets in the open field, it's hard to catch him. Uh, Keaton Thompson, he's he's easier to get behind the line. But uh, I guess with that smaller size comes a little bit more elusiveness. But he did he did great in the uh, in the bowl game. I mean, without him, we. It, we wouldn't have won for sure. I didn't think we would win, but he gave a great performance. Yeah, four out of five stars, Keaton Thompson. Yeah, he uh, he was a little better than I thought. I thought he was. I thought he was another Dak Prescott, uh, Nick Fitzgerald that Mullen kind of found in the middle of nowhere. So, uh, but yeah, like uh, like I said, Dan has recruited well for a Mississippi State school i mean y'all have a lot of uh a lot of talent and some of that was hurt last year i I believe and didn't get to see the field but uh uh what what y'all got coming back in the spring or what what do you think spring ball is going to look like in mississippi state uh i don't know that moorhead's offense is going to look that much different than mullen's offense Uh, i'm interested to see um i i don't know i don't plan on going to the spring game as of right now I wouldn't mind going, try to check it out. He, he's trying to set an attendance record. But I'm just – until we take the field against uh, Stephen F. Austin in the fall and blow them out 49-0, to zero, you know, something better, I, I'm still going to be a little hesitant to buy in. I, I think his resume looks great, but this is the SEC, and Mississippi State is an easy school to choke at. True, true. Uh What's uh what what do you know what his staff looks like or anything? I mean, uh, I pretty much I pretty yeah, much a, gave bios on mine. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a couple big names on the staff. I think the biggest name, uh, in my opinion, is Bob Shoup. Uh, spent some time with Moorhead at Penn State, uh, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, experienced. Um, Let's just hope you get know. the we, Vanderbilt we need... Bob Shoup instead of the Tennessee Bob Shoup. <laughs> Well, he's he's definitely bringing back a lot of talent on defense, and uh, already mentioned Montez Sweat coming back. Uh, he's a monster, just an absolute monster, and Jeffrey Simmons as well. Those two guys working in tandem, you probably could go three, four, and be fine because each of them are going to swallow up two two blocks. Simmons is a beast. So anyway, I guess I'll give my prediction for Mississippi State uh, in the fall. Oh, I'm gonna go eight and four, man. I think we. I don't. I, if Moorhead can pull off wins against our our big opponents, um, that'd be great. But I, I still, uh, Alabama was Mullins' Achilles' heel. Never beat them in nine years. Uh, we'll see if if Moorhead's different. But uh, I'm gonna go eight and four with losses to Alabama, LSU. Um, as of right now, I'm probably picking Florida to beat us uh, and Auburn, so 8-4. and four. I was waiting for that last yeah, What I, y'all think about I, that? I, I thought he was going to tell us there was going to be an upset between Mississippi State and Auburn but uh, and get Danny all fired up. I, I think 8-4 and four would be a, like a magical season for Mississippi State, in my opinion. I, I, don't, I don't know. Mississippi State's always one of those teams that – they don't recruit well, in my opinion, because they just don't have the landscape. 
they're kind of surrounded by the big power schools. You know, Arkansas doesn't have a good footprint. They don't have a lot of top talent. And so Arkansas typically pulls what they do have as a top talent out of that state. Uh, Tennessee's kind of been slacking a little bit on keeping their top talent in Tennessee. Um, plus, they in, in Mississippi, what top talent they do have, the Chebels, Cheatin' Rebels, um, they seem to pay a bunch of players, so they got those top talent. <laughs> and then you got to worry about Auburn and Alabama coming in there as well, as well as LSU. And, you know, Mississippi State's not going to True or false? What? I'm sorry, true or false? Uh, does every, every, let's say, college or let's say SEC team, do you believe that every SEC school is paying players, but they're just better at keeping it covered up? Every team but Tennessee, or is yes. It, I think it's – I don't think it's like a lot of big cash exchange. I think it's a lot more benefits like a car, um, your mom a job, your dad a job, something to that nature more than than actual financial benefits. Right. I think it's more materialistic things. Um, and uh, go into that, you know, benefits. Uh, Tennessee basketball had Donnie Tindall who um, – I believe he was after – no, he was – I can't remember exactly when he was at Tennessee, but he was at Southern Miss before that. Um, I want to say this might have been who we hired after Bruce Pearl, uh, but he was under NCAA investigation because while he was at Southern Miss, he was telling his basketball players to take out as much student loan as they could, whether it be private or government. He said, take out your max. He said, when you're done – will pay for it, or the boosters will pay for it. So, yeah, that I mean, I guess that's a benefit. You know, no cash was exchanged while they played, but at the end of it they were going to have all the student loan debt taken care of for them. So, hmm. uh, you know, since since you brought this up, Aaron, what do you think about paying college players? I, I kind of know how I feel about it, but uh, what, what do you all think? Well, I, I honestly think that the bigger schools are doing it anyway. Um, I, you know, that I, I, I do. I think Alabama's play, paying their players as well, but the, the coaches who make it that high, <coughs> excuse me, they just understand the system enough to know what's going to get them caught and what's not going to get them caught. Uh, they, they put people in place, and I, I think they have back backroom conversations where they say, you're going to handle all this stuff, and I'm not going to know a thing about it. Do you understand me? If I find out a thing about it, you're fired. And I think yeah. that's what ends up happening to some of these. Well, I, you know, you're right about that. But I'm talking about, like, what the discussion is now with the NCAA and all these sports make so much money that college college athletes should get paid for a percentage of what comes into their university. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not talking about the recruiting here. You know, here's a $100 handshake. I'm talking about... If your jersey gets sold for this much, you get a percentage, or the school made this much money off football, all the players get a check. What do, what do you think about that? I guess if it was regulated like the NFL with, with caps, it, it would be okay. Uh, but the problem is if that becomes permissible to pay players, it's going to – I think it would organically create a disparity between talent and, and there's already disparity. Uh, teams like Alabama and Tennessee that have just 
I don't know, Mike, what is it, $100 million at Tennessee a year? Oh, yeah. What is it? Uh, yeah, revenue. So, I mean, Tennessee and Alabama are in the top five revenue producers in the country. Uh, it's between 100 and, so 100, you're, you're, and $120 million, yeah. You're talking about these uh, universities with that much money. I mean, that would make uh, – Mississippi State would definitely get less talented through time. Uh, just because – I mean, I, I – Tell me an 18-year-old you know that says, no, I'm going to turn down $20,000 to go play football at Alabama so that I can go be like my dad and play at Mississippi State. True. And the problem is is it won't <clears throat> it won't stop at $20,000. It'll become such a bidding war that these top-earning schools and the schools with these mega boosters, they just outbid everybody for these players. And you'll see the team with – they got an all-star squad at every position, and it, it'll create such an unlevel playing field. I think it's a load of crap, honestly. You're getting a grade-A education. You're getting fed. Your living's paid for. Um, your books, you're, everything. You're debt-free, and you're coming out with a, a, an amazing education, not to mention you're put in a pool once you graduate. Even if you don't make the NFL, the NBA, NBA um, <clears throat> whatever professional league, you're putting a pool and you're getting an above average job that you're probably going to make over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And regardless of what you know, it's because of who you know. Right. So for me, I'm, I'm way against it. You know, I, I keep giving them the stipend, the stipends enough spending money, you know, you're in college, the, the average college player or college student. I mean, most people have to work. So, and you can say most college kids earn minimum wage or, you know, around $10 an hour. There's some, you know, some of the kids, once you get in a little bit further, you can go co-op and make some real money. But you got to say most college kids are making between seven fifty and $12 an hour. So Sure. And it, it's, man, it's such a load of crap. I mean, the universities are always going to make their money. If they weren't making the money, you wouldn't be playing on Saturday. Right. You got these hundreds of millions of dollars of stadiums to to pay for and realistically how are you going to pay for them if the school's not making money because they're too busy pay, playing for this guy to paying for this guy to play and say they paid that guy a million dollars and he blows his knee out the first practice and never plays well then yeah, what then then you're up the creek but also too with just the federal laws in place if you paid football and basketball players on the men's side, you've got to pay the women's counterparts. And that that's not even counting the, you know, like the soccer teams and the track teams and, you know, all these obscure sports that, uh, you know, nobody really watches except for, you know, the people that are in the stands on game night. I think, um, I, think I saw a report for Tennessee that Tennessee football, Tennessee basketball, Tennessee – women's basketball and maybe softball showed a profit last year and that left i think like 12 sports that lost money so yeah even though football and all that's doing great they're still paying for all the other ones it's it's the the money the paying thing is ridiculous i mean what you're looking at is people are very entitled and and i could go on and on about the entitlement in general oh yeah because and i I mean a little ridiculous at at this juncture in the world um it's it's to the point where it's a little crazy but i mean don't pay them i mean they're getting a top-notch education everything 
paid for. I agree Give with you completely. Break. You're, I mean, you're making at, uh, you know, someplace like USC, it's, I believe, like $25,000 a semester to go to school. So you're getting that. You're getting your room and board. You're getting food. Um, you're getting tutors on all your tests. What regular student gets a private tutor for all their classes? Um, and I believe at Tennessee they get a – it's either a semester or a yearly stipend of like $7,000 to spend. Mm, it's more than that. Uh, maybe like 7500 I know Auburn and Tennessee are the two highest in the SEC. Mm, but it's up there. I thought it was like – Ten grand a semester or something. No, like that. I'm, I'm pretty. You, someone might need to fact check us, uh, but I'm pretty sure it's it. I'm pretty sure it's between seventy five and eight hundred. Eight thousand dollars. I know the SEC's up there, and almost every school's up there. Well, yeah, and a lot of that has to do with the SEC network uh, pumping cash into the league. I mean, it's why programs like Kentucky and uh, Mississippi State just finished a renovation on theirs, so on their stadium, so. But what what really makes me angry are and I've only heard well no I I've heard this from basketball and I believe recently there was an Alabama football player that said it's wrong what's happening in the NCAA some of his teammates go to bed hungry the only reason you go to bed hungry at night if you were a Division One player is because you couldn't walk to the cafeteria in the sports training facility and get yourself a meal that they provide to you almost twenty four seven so. They do provide. It. I mean, most of those schools have a have a. I forget what they call it, um, but they have like a cafeteria specifically for yeah. athletes or whatever, and it's open pretty much all day. I mean, yeah, you can't go in there at midnight and expect it to to be open, but for the for the majority of a, a normal day, it's open and available and accessible to these guys. And I'm sure if they they called the coach. And said, "Hey, I can't make it. I'm studying, or a teammate, or somebody. They could get their food." Right. I, it, that's a that's a crock. I mean, it's these kids that they want to be paid big money for not really doing anything. I mean, if you start paying kids in college, what's the incentive to go to the to, to be a professional athlete anymore? Right. It's there well, is none. The incentive I mean, is you can only be in college for four years. So. I mean, just think about this. If you got paid a million dollars four years, I mean, how much would that change your life? I know it would change mine dramatically. I mean, it would change all of us. Right. If somebody paid that kind of money. I mean, I make pretty good money, and it's going to take me 10 years, 12 years to make a million dollars. And they would, you know, and that's me working full-time plus hours. You know, and it, it's probably going to take longer than 12 years. And, I mean, you're talking, that's not even factoring taxes and stuff in. I mean, that's that's a joke, and I'm sure we could go on and on about it, but I disagree with it 100%. That's well, just me. I do, too. I actually, I thought at least one of us, would, well, not myself, but I figured one of y'all might be in favor of paying players. Just, I mean, because a lot of, I mean, a lot of, not all former athletes, but I know I've heard of, like, Jay Billis is for paying them and a lot of them, but. Um, I'm just not. I'm, I agree. You get a top-notch education, be happy with that. I know I came I, out of but, school. I came out of school with a lot of student debt, and I've got to pay that back. These kids don't. And I will say that I think if it's there is an injury, I think you should still keep your scholarship. You know, an injury that prevents you from continuing your athletic career with the college. 
I think you should still keep your scholarship because, you know, you did hurt yourself. And I'm almost positive that that is the case, that I know Auburn does that a lot, that they, you know, keep these guys on scholarships that can't play anymore because they have a neck injury or a back injury or something to that nature. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think that that should be something that they should be able – they should be entitled to a free education, you know, if they do get injured. You know, give them that much. Keep, give them their room and board for free. You know, make it to where they, they sign that and they, they get that for their four years. Like a normal, like a college student, I mean, at that point, would I would think deserves. Yeah. Oh. Aaron, uh, I know me and Danny did a lot of talking. Do you have any anything that we might have missed that that been wandering around your brain? No. Uh I agree, and if there's if there are proponents of paying college athletes, I would have to see the plan that they propose before I, I really made a final call. But just in general, the system right now with this backdoor, what do they call them? Uh, money handouts, uh, money bag care. What, uh, the, there's like a term for the people who actually deliver the envelopes of money, and uh, yeah, again, it's not every player on the team but the big names the five and four stars that are getting pulled to these schools there's there's some kind of benefits going to them uh and honestly even though it's not a legal system the system could still be working you know just may not be acknowledged as ethical and legal so maybe the best system is the system we have now where we say no you can't do it we put people who investigate it, but really deep down they know a lot of people are getting away with it, and if they wanted to do something about it, they could. Um, maybe maybe that system is working just fine, even though it's not legal and ethical. Uh, if you go to a legal system, there may be more complications with it than the system that's right now, which is this behind behind closed doors, walking up in the middle of the night, putting money on in a mailbox, you know, true, whatever it is. Uh, last point, and then uh, we kind of disrupted Danny before he could tell us about the Auburn Tigers. But uh, I believe it came out that the NCAA made like 1.1 or 1.2 billion this year, but that was uh, that was before expenses of like 950 million were taken out. So yeah, everybody concentrate on this one and 1.2 billion dollar number, but. They also spent almost a billion dollars on athletics and different things, so um, it's not it's not this crazy big number that everybody thinks it is. But uh, Danny, you want to tell me why I should like Auburn this year instead of Alabama? Well, we do have an easy win on the schedule. Two of them: they play Mississippi State and Tennessee. So there's two wins right there. Um, maybe which I think we're gonna maybe. go to that Tennessee game, and maybe we'll do a, a podcast while we're there. Who yeah, we knows? might we might have to do a live podcast after Tennessee uh, beats Auburn, but uh, uh-huh. we'll, see. we'll see. We'll see. I mean, honestly, looking at the spring, I think one of the biggest question marks at Auburn right now is their offensive line coach left. You know, side note: I was very excited that he left. He was a good recruiter, but not a good coach. Um. You know, he had very uh, talented players and didn't seem to get the best out of them. Yeah, everybody will say, oh, well, Auburn had, a, you know, top ten or whatever they were national running game. Sure. But that's a Gus system thing. Gus has been 
nationally ranked in rushing attacks every year. It has nothing to do with her hands' ability to coach the offensive line. If you look at the games that Auburn lost, their offensive line was atrocious. Um, did, and did I they mean, give up like uh, eight sacks to Clemson? Eleven. Um, it was atrocious, and it was really hard to watch. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, Stidham didn't throw the ball well. Stidham couldn't really throw the ball. You drop back, and he's getting hit every in two seconds. I mean, you don't really have an option. So, and they brought back uh, Grimes. I believe it's Jeff Grimes, um, who was at Auburn in for the last, like, three years ago or something like that, and then he moved on to coach with his son, I believe that in Cincinnati and Jeff Grimes is not a good recruiter but he is a very good coach um 2013 he was at Auburn Auburn Gus's first year Auburn went to the national championship and one dumb play away from winning that bad boy but they lost but they got some talent coming back um left tackle Tega he played a good bit last year um Harrell at left guard believe he was the lone starter for the entire season that's returning because Tega got benched. Center's going to be kind of an iffy position. It's Caleb Kim. be kind of interesting to see. Uh, I think Mike Horton was the sixth offensive lineman they rotated in. But I think the biggest battle on the offensive line is going to be between Calvin Ashley and Troxel. And Troxel's kind of a wild card there because he's had his junior and senior year in high school he blew his knee out, and so he's coming off some pretty serious injuries. But everything that I've read review-wise in the spring is he looks fantastic. So it'll be interesting to see there. Um, defensive line, Auburn's stacked. You know, they're up there with anybody defensive line. Derek Brown's a monster. Marlon Davidson's a monster. You know, those two guys are first-round NFL talent, and they'll probably be gone after this year. Especially Derek Brown because he's a beast. Um, lone position they got to re- replace on the defensive line is the buck position, which will be your rush end um, by Jeff Holland. Jeff Holland left the, led the team in sacks last year. I think he had thirteen. I'm probably wrong, um, but they should replace that with TD Moultrie, who's going to be a stud. So. Uh, I feel pretty confident that there's not going to be any drop-off there. DBs is going to be a crapshoot. Lost uh, Carlton Davis in both safeties. Got two really good kids coming in from high school that are in there. They enrolled early. Um, Smoke Monday. I don't know his first name. I know that's his nickname is Smoke. (laughs) Apparently the kid's a beast. And Sherwood is the other one. Both of them are supposed to be really good. I looked at the kind of projected depth chart earlier. And both of them are, you know, I think they got them listed at second. But they're getting split time with the ones to kind of get them acclimated in the scrimmages. Um, well, one other big position battle is going to be running back. Yeah, the SEC's leading rusher and on Johnson left early to go to the NFL. Because Gus likes to run his running backs a lot so and he likes to ride one horse that would be an interesting battle there does Gus kind of change his ways and go a little bit more by committee or does he pick the hot hand and ride it Um, they got a couple undersized guys um, back their most experienced guys are both undersized 
and Devin Barrett and ooh, what's the other one's name? Cam Martin. But they got a guy that registered last year in Whitlow who is apparently turning heads, and I think they say he's up to about 220, and apparently it's dynamite. Um, and they got a true freshman that's coming in this year. He's in, also in spring ball this semester. And Asa Martin, who was 6A or was Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Alabama. Dude's a stud. I want to say he had like 1,900 yards rushing. So, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, Gus doesn't show his hands or cards much in the spring, so it's going to be really vanilla. Um, it'll be kind of interesting to see what they do in the 8A game. Uh, I don't think Jarrett Stidham's going to play in the 8A game. He had his non-throwing shoulder operated on uh, a month or so ago. He's only been doing seven-on-sevens. He hasn't been doing any contact drills, so it's been the backup and the true freshman this year, um, Joey Gatewood, who looks like to be the next Cam Newton, if he can kind of figure everything out. Body type-wise, he looks freaking phenomenal. I mean, dude's 6'4". Will he, will he Will he jump on a fumble? Hey, man, he'll win a national championship. But will he jump on a fumble at the Super Bowl? He's got to make it there first, man. We're talking about college, not Super Bowl. Oh, I <laughs> you're skipping I, a lot of steps. So you're assuming that he's going to be an amazing guy. Well, well, you said the next Cam Newton. I was just wondering if he would jump on a fumble, uh, unlike Cam Newton. So, man, Cam Newton, Cam Newton's a beast, man. That wouldn't jump on a fumble. Say. I don't care what you say. Won national championship, a Heisman, uh, MVP. Hasn't won a Super Bowl yet, but I'm sure he'll get one. But, you know, there's a lot of expectation on that Gatewood kid. Overall, I think Auburn signed 21 kids in the early period, so they're, you know, the normal signing day was kind of quiet. Um, They got a lot of linebackers coming in this year. They should overall be pretty good. Um, If they can kind of gel on the offensive line, I think they'll be fine. What do you think happened last year? Did they just choke or at the end of the season? Or I know they beat Georgia and Alabama, but then in the SEC championship game and against national champions UCF, they, they did choke. Or They had some injuries. Carryon was beat up pretty bad. Um, you know, they their schedule's a gauntlet at the end of the year. You know, they got Georgia and Alabama, and, you know, not to mention the rest of the SEC West. You know, Mississippi State always plays Auburn really tough. Um, LSU's a heck of a game for us. Uh, I mean, it, not to mention we also played Clemson last year. You know, Auburn was the only team in the country that in, that played the four finalists in the playoffs uh, in one calendar year because they played Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl. You know, they played all three of those teams, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson, last year alone. It'll be interesting. They open up this year with Washington and Atlanta. So it'll be three straight games in Atlanta. Hopefully they can win that, that one. Is there one two of the other I ones? Oh and two right now, yeah. I mean they just they still gotta keep they got good depth. Um they just gotta keep coaching them up and I'm I'm really I'm really optimistic that Jeff Grimes is gonna be a real difference maker for them in regards to kind of coaching up the offensive line talent um 
they're going to have to piggyback on some of the other good recruiters that they have to kind of recruit that offensive line. Because after this class coming up, they're going to really have to push offensive line or they're going to be up the creek because they just they did not do well recruiting it this year. Um, but we'll see. You know, I, 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 for me, optimistic, I, I think Auburn's going to be in the hunt for the playoffs. I mean, I think they got the talent. I think they got the depth. I think they're going to have the right pieces in place. You know, I think it's going to be there. The key is going to be the offensive line. If they can get that to gel, they're going to be a pain for any team that they play. Uh, I mean, we'll see. Uh, right now it's tough to bet against Alabama and Georgia, one, one coming off an SEC championship and the other one a national championship over the SEC champ. So, um, I know that's for another day because I still don't believe if you don't win your your conference, then you shouldn't play in the playoffs. But but you should opinion. also be UCF when you play them. Just saying, dude. That was a that was a no win game, and you know it. What what kind of incentive did they have to say we should have we were playing for a spot in the playoffs, and now we didn't make it, so we're gonna play this team who's having a freak of a year not to lose to UCF that's my incentive not to lose to UCF UCF would have beat Tennessee by about 50 points last year but you but you've already said Auburn was so much better than Tennessee so they were and they were better they're a better team than UCF they can play them 100 times they probably beat them 99 but that one time (laughs) they lost I I, I disagree with that statement if uh, if uh, Auburn was the better team they're, I agree. I agree with that, but they should have they, won. They, they didn't. Yeah, I, you know, they didn't, and that was their fault. I mean, if you'd asked me before the game who would have won, I would have probably said that it's going to be a very close game because I don't think Auburn's going to be up for it. See, I picked both y'all's bowl games wrong because I picked Auburn over UCF, and then I picked Louisville over Mississippi State. I'm, I'm glad I was wrong about the Mississippi State one. I just, I did not expect that win to happen. With uh, with the backup quarterback in against Lamar Jackson, but no, I mean it's it's. Yeah. I'm optimistic on Auburn next year. I think they're going to be a good team, and I'm excited to uh, to go to at least one game next year. I think that'd be a really fun time. Get to see him play Tennessee in Auburn, and then I'm possibly going to the LSU game as well because that one will be in Auburn as well. So Tennessee comes to Auburn this year. Mm-hmm. Yes, October thirteenth. October thirteenth. So that means Michael will not be at the high school reunion. The ten year reunion oh, is man. on the same day. Dang. So, yeah. wait, uh, how far is that from y'all's hunting land, Danny? Well, that's like forty five minutes. Thirty thirty minutes. Thirty forty five minutes. Something like that. Um, is that's sweet? It's not far, but. Sweet. We technically don't have hunting land anymore. Not yet. <laughs> I had a few discussions. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we can on talk a about that. Time. Yeah. Um, you know, me and Danny are going to go see Auburn, Tennessee this year. Uh, I want to go ahead and lock Aaron in to see if he'll do it. But Mississippi State goes to Tennessee the year after this one. Uh, we we should get a tradition going of going to a game. You like Knoxville. I'd be happy to go, man. Uh, Knoxville is awesome. So, who? All, right. All right, y'all heard I, it that, here. That'd be a lot of fun. 
Aaron has locked it in. He can't back out of it. He locked it in on the podcast. Um, uh, okay, so Danny, did you uh, did you say what the win total was this year? What you think? What your guesstimate uh, is? Let's I'm, see. I'm assuming still losing to Georgia and, and Alabama. Nah, I think they split that. <laughs> Who do they, they beat? beat? I think they beat Georgia and lose to Alabama. I, I mean, it, it's, right now it's really hard to tell because I don't know what Alabama's got either. They lost a boatload of players. A lot of they lost what their entire secondary. Um, yeah, pretty. We'll much. see. Um, yeah, you know it, it's it's way too early to really give a win total. I think, I, like I told you earlier, I think Auburn's going to be in play for the playoff. Um, I will. I'll say that it's for me. I, I, I guess what eleven and one. Yeah, if I had to say that at eleven to one, and I'm not saying it's losing, they may lose the opening game and then run the table. You know, Gus is very known to run, get hot and go on streaks. You know, right. he seems to to get to get that sense of urgency once he loses a game, but he may lose that sense of urgency since he's got a seven year contract of fifty million dollars. A coach that went from maybe getting fired to Getting fifty million dollars by the end of the season, you got mm. you got to love college football. Thank you, Sexton. <laughs> um, all right, so um, since I mentioned that we're going to have a buddy's golf trip this weekend, and uh, we can let y'all know how badly we did uh, on that trip on the next podcast, but uh, you know what's coming up, guys? Uh, a little a little bit of Augusta magic. Uh, the Masters is coming up, and you know, we're all we're all golf fans. We all play uh, for fun, not competitively. But uh, I I watch golf on the weekends. I don't know if y'all do, but have y'all seen what Tiger's been doing? I I haven't watched it, man. <laughs> I I was actually hoping Tristan's Tristan's uncle, uh, for the past like four years, and I think you came with me one time, Mike. But he gets passes to the Champions Tour. Uh, there at uh, the the casino course, um, right yeah, here in Biloxi. South Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, didn't get tickets this year. I was kind of upset. I would have really liked to go see that. Uh, but no, I haven't been watching any other golf. But I played golf this weekend. I'm getting good. You better watch Practicing? out. I <laughs> uh, just just been playing, shooting the bull with my brother. But uh, we we did play best ball between the two of us. But we shot like a 92 together. Well, well we so do need getting, a fourth. Getting, we do need a fourth for this weekend. It could be me and Aaron versus we do need you a and Rico. Uh, too bad our friend Rico doesn't play golf and is unathletic as a blueberry. But, uh, no, man, Tiger's, uh, <laughs> Tiger's been tearing it up. He, uh, he finished fifth last week at um, – Oh, uh, now Danny's done made me forget where he played, but uh, he finished fifth. Oh, at uh, the Arnold Palmer, and he tied for second at um, the one before that, whatever. But you know, Tiger is—I uh, believe he's got a shot at the Masters. He—he uh, he knows that course very well. He's won it four or five times. But you know, I believe Tiger is like the Yankees of baseball. You either love him, you hate him, and I think that's good for golf. Because, you know, when Tiger first got into golf, it was guys weren't making a lot of money. I mean, they were making, 
you know, they're making like doctor money if you were on the PGA Tour. You know, making making maybe like a million dollars a year. Now you make a million dollars a tournament. Um, and Tiger brought that. Now a lot of people didn't like him because he was so dominant, but I I'm one of the ones that when Tiger's good, golf is worth watching. Uh, I'm a Tiger fan. Um, I, I I'm really interested to see, and I'll watch it. So I'm ready to see what he'll do at the Masters. I agree. I think golf's better when Tiger's good. I like to. I'd like to see him break Jack's record, but I, I don't know if it'll happen. But it, it's definitely good. I haven't. Wa- I didn't watch him play. I did see that he's playing much better. I think what the last two tournaments he's finished top five or something like that. Um. So it's it's good to see him going I and mean, getting back to kind of the old Tiger. You know, maybe. We'll get some magic. Tiger, you know, we'll see. I'm excited to see it, though. I'll probably watch that. But I am pretty stoked about playing golf this weekend. And we'll probably, I mean, I'm trying to think how we could do it. We need to find a fourth. I'm sure I can can find um, one other person in Mobile or down there. Or where are we playing at? Are we playing Mobile or are we playing in... Uh, I don't know. I was gonna let Aaron decide. You know, we can. We got. Uh, we got Mobile. We got Ocean Springs, or we got Loosedale. And uh, for anybody listening to the podcast that's just uh, checking us out that doesn't know us, we pretty much just gave away where we live by naming those three places. So, uh, you know, we are South mm-hmm. Alabama and South Mississippi boys. I'm North Alabama. Yeah, uh, I could probably. I could. I could check with my brother. Uh, he he's getting good. He he's uh, me and him are pretty close to the same level. I don't know. Uh, what you guys shoot, but I really want to go try. Uh, it's Azalea something, and it's a par three. Oh, Azalea City. Um, Azalea I mean, City. No, I don't. It's up do to a par you. Three. I don't want to do a par three, three either. Um, if you want to play a nice course, you're gonna have to drop a little bit of money. I don't know if you want to, but Robert Trent Jones over in Mobile is really good. But Azalea City is really nice if you play the par five. I've played that a couple times, and it's it's fun. It's not super, super hard. I want to say I played it either last summer or the summer before. Um, our oh. friend Dirty Pop and I played that together. Um, that That's a shout-out to our buddy in Houston who should be listening right now. Uh, so, we'll, we'll, I, actually, I could, we could ask Brian to play. No, uh, sorry, Brian's going to be out of town, so we can't. I was Brian. thinking of playing Gulf Hills in Ocean Springs. It's a, it's a, it's a nice course and decently priced. I'm game. I mean, I think Robert Trent's about 50, 60 bucks. Uh, Gulf Hills is Mobile. like 40. Okay. And that, that's fine. That works yeah. for me. I'm going to pack my clothes up because I'm leaving first thing in the morning. Uh, I'm down to the beach. Yeah. Um, we also might be having a party this Saturday, too. we got to discuss that in our personal time. But, uh, uh, you know, it's crawfish season. I've been stuck out in west texas and haven't had to been able to get me a mud bug or anything i'm having withdrawals so uh, a golf and crawfish day sounds almost perfect to me i think it's supposed to be good weather this weekend too so i think so and i think while we're talking That's... about future events we are planning a turkey trip we'll probably do it. we need to do a live podcast then to do that um heck yeah would be a lot of fun well i we don't can... think we can do one while we're 
turkey hunting, but maybe afterwards. I think that's what you mean. While we're all together. Yes. Well, uh, speaking of turkey hunting, I went Saturday morning, didn't hear a thing. Uh, and I think it's just because the weather's warmer right now. I really like to hunt on those cold, crisp mornings. And uh, I, I actually am going to be able to go Friday and or Saturday. And uh, both of those mornings in Loosedale are the high 40s. That's going to be beautiful hunting weather for turkeys. And uh, I don't know, I did some exploring. kind of made me think about turkey habitat. Uh, like to get y'all's opinion on... Um, you're, if you're going turkey hunting, what do you think you're going to look for? Um, I I like tall pine trees that are close to water. If there's a access to water within maybe a quarter mile or so, that's really the terrain I like to go looking for. Uh, the, the turkeys that I've been close enough and they responded to my calls, all of them been roosted in just like the tallest trees on top of a hill, and there had to be a water source. So... What do y'all think? What would be your optimal habitat? I agree with you on the, the tall pines. Um, gives them plenty of cover. You know, they good trees to roost in. Um, I agree. I mean, honestly, I'm not the most experienced turkey owner. I've only been a few times. I do have a, a good buddy of mine who has put down four thunder chickens so far this year. Um, he could probably give us a lot better insight, but from the times I've gone, has always been looking for good roosting trees. Uh, I've oh, never and, been turkey I, hunting, but uh, I do agree that you need to be by some source of water, but I have seen plenty of turkeys while deer hunting, because that seems to be how it always is. You see plenty of turkeys when you can't shoot them. But to me, it's it's almost the same as deer. You find you you know the some nice oak trees around some water, and you're going to find a bevy of wildlife so uh and just to let y'all know i bought i bought some calls i've been giving them a go it probably won't go great for me but i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a go when we go turkey hunting so you sound like a dying turkey huh if i if 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 i can even get it to make noise yeah that's what it sounds like uh i think i need to just buy some uh some better quality calls before we go so talk about talk about the ones you bought. Which turkey calls did you buy to try out? Um, you know, since we're not getting paid by anybody, I can give these names out. But I bought the Primos uh, brand. It's uh, it was just a starter pack at Academy. It was very cheap. Um, I mainly did it just to try and learn some techniques and uh, see what, see how different things are before I go and drop some serious money on. Uh, on some calls, which I'm probably going to have to do because, uh, these work, but they're not the best. Uh, it's probably why you got three of them for like 30 bucks. What kind uh, are they? Are they mouth calls? Box? Uh, well, well, no, it's, it's one box call, one slate call and one, uh, mouth call. So it, it was a three and one. You get one of each. I, th- I think our guest by my buddy, um, I think he really likes the slate calls. Uh, I talked when I talked with him today about it. I asked him what he was using, and I forget the name. It's a particular guy. I want to say the guy's out of Virginia, but he loves this guy's calls. And Josh limits out his. I think you get five a year in Alabama, and he limits out every year. I mean, the season's only been going two weeks, and if that, and he's already got four. Him and his brother both have four killed. 
well, if we ever get big enough, we can uh, we can get them to sponsor and we'll give their name out on the podcast. <laughs> I will. I'll tag you. I was going to uh, say the best. Go ahead, Aaron. The best mouth call uh, that I've got was actually a handmade one out of uh, a mobile, and uh, I actually can't remember the exact name of the store, but I'd like to go in there and get a few more just to try them out. I was talking with my cousin the other day who turkey hunts, and uh, I was telling him, like, I've got four different mouth calls, and only one of them actually makes sounds that I know are, are very close to a turkey. And he said, yeah, you got to find the one you like that works for you, and then you got to buy four or five of them and try them all out. There might only be one that actually works for you uh, and makes the sounds you need it to. Now... Uh talking about calls what what because i've heard different things and talked to different people what is your philosophy on calling in a bird i've talked to plenty of people that says when they get close you need to stop because it can scare them off now i've talked to people that said you need to treat them like a woman and when they're giving you signals you need to you know you need to just keep acting slutty so what what is y'all's methods well um I'm fairly new to turkey hunting anyway. Uh, probably went for the first time three years ago and killed my first one last two two seasons ago. But uh, the way that one worked out, uh, he was gobbling at another gobbler. And in the distance with my box call, I could get him to gobble back at me. And uh, I, I pinpointed his location where I thought he was about 100 yards away. And uh, I ended up at walking straight through the woods just found a food plot one of our uh, club plots and i figured that that sucker was roosted up right off the edge of that so i found me some good cover uh turkeys have incredible vision so you really have to cover up as best you can um and they see colors like i, I want to say blue uh so you, you've got to be very careful but anyway i picked some good good cover and uh used the box call and he wouldn't respond to it at all I probably called three times, um, maybe 15 second intervals, and I uh, laid the box call down for an hour. And uh, he actually flew down to a video of another person calling with a mouth call. And so my theory is you need different, you do need multiple calls when you go into the woods. Uh, and I think the video that I played might have actually sounded like a Jake yelping. And it, it really ticked off that gobbler, and that's why he flew down. So... I think you need a variety, and uh, as far as strategy goes, you got to feel out the bird, man. I gave that one an hour, gave him the cold shoulder, and uh, that's what ended up getting hit. He just got, I, I, I just bet his eyes were rolling. He was so anxious to hear me call again. Uh, quick little fun fact about turkeys. Uh, this might get us a bad rating, but did you know that turkeys masturbate to use the scientific term if you ever see uh some young jakes in a field with another male that is having his fun and they start shaking violently or maybe not violently but if they're just sitting there watching and shaking that is them masturbating just didn't uh, know that yeah didn't either uh i have a friend that turkey hunts a lot and he he passed that knowledge on to me after talking to a biologist so now you know the more you know <laughs> for me i guess the only call i've ever used is a box and i, I want to say that mike's um theory on not continuing to call him because that's something that happened to me i was in a pop-up blind in texas so i was dealing with the rios 
and I called him in from probably 300 yards. I mean, he was ways away. I saw him barely. He's walking um, the edge of the field that I was sitting near. I had a couple decoys out in front of me. I saw him. So I call, I hit the call, and he came strutting towards me. He kind of stopped, so I hit it again. And, I, I, you know, I'm really new at turkey calling, so I don't I, I don't know a lot about it. I just kind of went with the feel. And I got him to come in to about 60 yards. And he was strutting, 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 hadn't stopped. And I made the mistake of hitting the call again, and poof, see you later. He was gone. <laughs> and I so I had talked to a few other people, and they had kind of uh, said that, you know, you need to kind of lay off the calls as much or not call when they're getting close. So that's kind of the way that I took it. And I know I kind of told Mike that because it was a pretty funny story <laughs> and because I had never had that happen to me. And not alone, I mean, not to mention had a turkey actually strutting in on me, but – you live and you learn right oh, so we uh we think we're gonna be able to get a turkey hunt in april 15th ish we think uh that weekend if the schedule is lined up for everybody we're gonna try and do a turkey hunt at the deer camp with a live podcast where we're all three in the same room for the first time ever even though this is only the second podcast we've ever done uh, but we're going to go ahead and try to book that. Um, the way our schedules are lining up, it looks like uh, episode three of the Southern Lodge podcast will be held at a turkey camp where we can recap uh, the day's events and whether or not we were lucky or not. And we'll also probably pull in a draft one on that one because I believe the draft is um, starts on the 27th. Like so that. our next podcast will probably be uh, a live podcast from the lodge with draft and turkey hunt and recap. Um, if you listen to this episode and you have any questions or comments, uh, you can reach us at our email, southernlodge1 at gmail.com. Uh, once again, that's southernlodge1 at gmail.com. So uh, we're going to sign off, and we'll see y'all next time at the lodge. Deuces.